0: for a couple different reasons. Um, This is the first Sunday that our lead pastor, Bob Miller, is away for his uh, ministry sabbatical. So you won't be seeing him up here for about the next five or six weeks as he takes time to rest, be with his family, and study some topics that he's going to bring back to us as a church. It's also kind of an interesting and exciting Sunday because this morning we're launching a new sermon series that I'm pretty pumped about. Um, So for The next two months or so, we're going to be spending the majority of our time examining the New Testament book of James. Has anyone ever read the whole book of James? Hey, wow, quite a bit. That's awesome. Very encouraging. James is a very practical book um, that's fairly easy for just about anyone to understand regardless of what you know about God or what you know about the Bible. When people ask me where they should start reading the Bible or where they should direct a new Christian, James is often one of the first books I tell people that they should start studying. And the author of this book was James, who was the leader of the Jerusalem church, and he was also the brother of Jesus, which is pretty cool. He wrote his letter around the years A.D. 40 to 45, and it was written primarily to Jewish Christians who were living in poverty and suffering uh, persecution. And as we move through the study of James, you'll notice that he was a pretty raw dude who just kind of spoke things as, just as they were and just what it looks like to live our faith out, whether we want to hear it or not. He calls believers to actions, to action rather than basking in our own holiness, And he's well known for saying that hearing and believing the word alone isn't enough, but that we also need to be doers of the word so that the good news of Christ affects our everyday practical lives. So it's our hope as a church that as we examine topics like suffering, trials, caring for the vulnerable, faith and deeds, and taming our tongue, that we as a church body would have a better understanding of what it means to let the good news of Jesus Christ not only penetrate our hearts, but to flesh itself out in our everyday lives by examining this very practical book. So let's dive into it. Open your Bibles up to James 1.1. If you're using a pew Bible, it should be page 1105. James chapter 1, starting in verse 1, says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because, having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. And when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. So today we're going to talk about trials and suffering. And aren't you just thrilled that you joined us as we're discussing such lighthearted, Topics this morning. This is one of those sections in the Bible that doesn't make much sense, especially to us Americans. Is James really saying that we should rejoice in our suffering? Is he seriously saying to consider it pure joy, right, when we face trials? Because that stands contrary to everything that our society values. We live in a culture that idolizes comfort and efficiency, in case you haven't figured that out yet. If our lives are comfortable and efficient, if everything is running and working smoothly, then we think our lives are good, and therefore we should be happy. But in the midst of our pursuit of comfort and efficiency, something starts to happen. And it's been happening since the day we were born, and it will continue to happen until Christ returns and makes all things new. And it's suffering that happens. It hits us hard. Trials start to unfold in our lives. They can take on many shapes and forms. Maybe it looks something like this. Your spouse of 15 years isn't sure they want to stay married to you anymore. Your child is diagnosed with a difficult medical condition. You're laid off at work and not sure how you're going to provide for your family. You lose a family member to cancer. Your brother can't seem to beat his drug addiction. Your best friend just betrayed you. Your insecurity and need for affirmation keeps pushing people away and you're not sure what to do about it. Maybe you discover you've given your life to proving your worth and pursuing that dream job. But now once you have that dream job, you realize you're just as unfulfilled as you were before. And that's just a short list. All of us could fill in the blank for what suffering looks like or has looked like in our lives. And I want to give you guys a real-life example of two friends that knew what suffering was all about. They were broke. They had no jobs. um, Everything was just horrible and seemed to be falling apart. Um, So we're going to dim the lights and show one of my all-time favorite movie scenes here. So let's check out The Suffering of Harry and Lloyd.
1: I got robbed by a sweet old lady on a Uh-oh. motorized cart.
0: Got any sound? I didn't even see it. Time out. Oh, Harry. Oh,
1: Harry. Old lady on a motorized
0: cart. Uh, you want to start over? Nope. What? cart. I didn't even see it. Come on. Oh, there it is.
1: Oh, Harry. No. Harry. No. Come on, Harry. up. A... gets worse, Lloyd. My parakeet Petey? Huh? He's dead. Oh. Oh, man. I'm sorry, Harry. What happened? His head fell off. <laughs> His head fell off? <laughs> yeah, he was pretty old. it i've had it with this dump we got no food we got no jobs our pets heads are falling
0: off Oh. oh my gosh harry and lloyd knew all about suffering and they could they could not find a job because everybody wanted them to work 40 hours a week who wants to commit to that right my goodness hey could i get some lights up here andy James tells us to consider it joy when we face trials. But rejoicing in our suffering isn't something our educational system taught us. It's not something our society teaches us. We're told to be all that we can be, right? And if we work hard, then we deserve good things because we've earned them. And if people get in our way of our pursuit of our comfort and of the American dream then push them aside because nobody should stand in between us and what we want. And many of us, if we're honest, go through life expecting good things to happen to us. We think we deserve them somehow because of the hard work we've put in, because of all the time we've invested in a particular relationship. So we think things should turn out as we want. And when they don't, which has happened to every single one of us, the ball is put in our court because we have to respond. We have to respond to things not going our way. And if I had to guess, I would say that the majority of us deal with suffering. Not all of us, but the majority of us deal with suffering in one of two ways. Some of us are the doers and the fixers. And you know exactly who you are. talked to some of you this week about that. You're the doers and the fixers. So when life gets difficult, when a relationship becomes broken, when something goes wrong... We put on our savior hat and we try to fix the problem. We try to maneuver people in order to get them to think and feel a certain way that lines up with how we want them to think, or feel. We use our smooth words and our talents to convince and sometimes even manipulate people in order to get what we want. Some of us are the exact opposite Some of us kind of align more with a defeatist mentality. This is how I'm more naturally wired, how I'm more prone to respond. When life gets difficult, when people hurt us deeply, and we're extremely frustrated, we can become so upset and allow the situation to magnify in our minds that we just want to throw in the towel and say, I am done. God, I don't understand why this is happening to me, especially why is it happening right now? Have you ever noticed suffering always comes at a bad time? It always comes at a pretty bad time. We're tempted just to give up hope, let despair sweep the life out of us. I mean, we've worked so hard for our desired results. A good marriage, healthy friendships, job security. And so when things don't unfold, when they start to downward spiral, we can be tempted to say, what is the point of even trying anymore? And no matter how you're wired or where you fall, perhaps, on the spectrum, all of us are tempted to escape the pain. We hate suffering. We don't know how to deal with it, and so we will do anything to numb ourselves from the pain, or to at least remove ourselves from the situation, if only for a while. This is where alcohol can creep in for some. For others, maybe it's turning to pornography. Just to escape the struggle of your life, if even for a moment. For some, it's immersing ourselves in our work or in a relationship in an unhealthy way. Just anything possible to make us stop thinking about our circumstance. Now, I want to take a minute real quick and hear from you guys. Get some feedback from you, if we would be so honest. So, think back over the course of your life and trials and suffering that you have had to face. And hopefully, you know, some are obviously going to be more tragic than others, such as the loss of a family member or best friend. And hopefully that is not a regular occurrence in your life. But maybe you're in a trial right now. I want you to consider how is it that you typically respond? Are you a doer and a fixer? You put on your savior hat and try to make everything better out of your own power and strength? Do you just Throw in the towel and just say, I'm done. What's the point of trying anymore? Do you respond a different way? So, how is it that you personally respond when suffering and trials come your way? The floor's open. Let's be honest. Go ahead.
1: back to the past relationship and then I hurt another person and I, and then I hurt that person even more and, Um finally Mm -hmm. or or the next female or or the next job, you know, whatever it be. I've closed all of that temptation down, and I'm actually reading books and and I'm watching literature and I'm doing everything I can to be the best man I can be for me and my children. Good. But my point is, is I was this person that used to put a Band-Aid on everything. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, if something hurts so bad, I drink do whatever
0: I get past Sure. That's good. Yeah, he says he to, turns to sports sometimes, but more than that, he will put a band-Aid on all the problems rather than getting to the root, and doing that self-examining, exploring your own soul, that hard work that we like to run from. Yeah. Anybody else?: All right. Somebody raising their hand? Oh, sorry. I'm a fixer. Okay. So if somebody has a problem, I'll start finding
1: scriptures for them, or I'll get on Google and
0: find, oh, what can we do about this or that, and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, So actually, I've gotten a lot better, I think, about that because it was really kind of brought to my eyes after the first of the years to stop doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Leave it to God and just go about trying to yeah. help people, when I don't have to fix it. Sure. That's good. She says she's a fixer, so she likes to have a Bible verse for everything and send to someone to smooth it over or make them feel better or ease the pain. That's good. Maybe one more.
1: Mm-hmm. Man, I've had a lot of failures in my life. But the reality is that's how I came to this point in my life in the first place. Nothing's greater than God. Yeah. You see, that's the end result. As far as being a fixer, no. I like to put myself in the place of where um, empathy comes into play. So whenever I can relate to something that's going on with somebody, that I can be there and walk through it with them.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Been to live the that going that been sure. Yeah, he's saying that in some ways he likes pain because it's in those moments he learns the most about himself, presses into the heart of God, and then can take that to friends who are maybe going through similar situations. That's good stuff. Um, I want to share a personal story with you guys of how I responded to some trials in my life this past week. Um, Two weeks ago, I spent some time down in South Missouri at uh, Table Rock Lake, serving at a Young Life camp. And that was not suffering in itself, being at Table Rock Lake. Um, But while I was at camp, I was attacked by the enemy in some pretty severe ways. Um, The devil ambushed me (laughs) hardcore and literally pierced my physical skin. Um, And he did it all with the help of his evil little creatures that we like to call chiggers. So, I want, to sh- I want to show you this. Um, yeah, they're pretty cute, aren't they? Really cute, guys. Um, these are Satan's warriors <laughs> that work on the front line of his army doing his dirty work. Amen. <laughs> they bit me. They bit me 40 different times in my upper thigh. I'm still, if you see me walking awkwardly, that's what's going on. Um, they bit me 40 times in my upper thigh because just like their leader, they like to attack us where we're most vulnerable. <laughs> I'm serious. That's where Satan attacks us, people. So this past week, I have been just trying to fight off this ambush of chiggers I got. Um, and just to anything to alleviate the physical pain that they've caused me. They've turned into welts. It got to that point. Um, so I've made... Four or five trips to local pharmacies, been to my doctor, had shots, had, I'm on antibiotics, like everything possible. Um, I've also, on top of that, kind of been battling this sore throat for like three weeks that is finally going away. So those two things were really annoying this week. On top of that, last Sunday, I got in my car to head to church, and there was poop all over the inside of my car, <laughs> just like literal poop. And so I'm like, what the heck? So I don't have time to clean it up. So I come to church, and I get home, park my car, and I just start tearing my car apart to see what, what is in here. And as I'm in the back with the spare tire, I see a mouse just come out and just look at me, and then he just goes back into the interior regions of my car that I, you know, I can't get to. So all three of those things that are just really stupid and annoying have been lurking, and they really skewed my view on a few actual important areas of my life. I had some difficult relationships this past week that I was kind of immersed in. And at one point in the midst of just being so annoyed and frustrated, I literally out loud just said, I am done. I am done with this particular person. I wish they would get out of my life so that I would never have to deal with them again. And this is someone that I have been friends with for years, who's a Christian, and who sometimes comes to this church Friend of the Year Award is not going to me in 2017, people. But thankfully, by the grace of God in that moment, he opened my eyes and helped me realize how irrational I had become and how I was choosing despair over hope. Life was getting hard, and so I just wanted to throw in the towel. So on my drive that morning from Target's Pharmacy, to church. I took some time to get my heart right. I asked God to forgive me of having such a horrible attitude and being bitter towards this particular friend. Um, I asked him to help me see my life from his perspective. And it was really my suffering that helped reveal to me my desperate need for God. It revealed my desperate need for God. And it revealed to me, like verse 14 says, if you still have your Bibles out, Look at that real quick. 1.14 says, Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. I wanted to be in control of this broken relationship. And so when things didn't go exactly how I wanted to, I wanted to kick and scream and I acted like a little child. Because in that moment I realized that I wasn't God. That I can't fix things. And that I'm certainly not the one that can change someone's heart. Only he can do that. So my suffering helped restore me to my proper place as being a son and joyful servant of the king. Now let's look again at verses 2 through 4 there in chapter 1. It says, consider it pure joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now look with me real quick at what the Apostle Paul had to say um, about suffering. It says, we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, And character, hope. So Paul seems to be telling us the exact same thing that James is trying to tell us. That the trials and sufferings in our life produce perseverance. And perseverance leads us to be mature and complete. So we can conclude that we can't be mature and complete without enduring trials and suffering. It's part of it. We can't be mature and complete without enduring trials and suffering. We often grow and learn the most about ourselves and God and the way that we view others when we face trials. Because when we face suffering, we come head on. we got to look and examine our own insecurities, our shortcomings, and our fears. We can't hide from them anymore. And it's in these moments that we have the opportunity to press into the heart of God. And to be shaped more into his likeness. And I love this next verse. If you look at verse 5 there. It says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all, without finding fault, and it will be given to you. And this is exactly what I had to do in my breakdown moment. I had to say, God, I don't understand why this stuff is happening why all these annoying things are going on, and this person is driving me nuts, and I don't really need to understand all of it. But what I need is to respond in a way that portrays your heart, rather than lashing out in anger and bitterness and despair. Give me your wisdom, God, to see life from your perspective. And beyond that, we have to come to a point, point. this is huge and this is hard, Where we can say, God, even in the midst of my own pain, even in the midst of my own suffering, help me to get to a point to where I can see the needs of others and lay down my life for them. Because being able to do that will set us on the course of being mature and complete. Uh, Jason Tippetts, he's one of the authors of the He Reads Truth devotional that I know um, a lot of you guys read. Here's what he had to say about this passage. It is interesting that James moves from suffering and the benefits of suffering to this instruction. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously. Perhaps our suffering is where we grasp the wisdom and goodness of God. And in this wisdom we rejoice in his grace. In suffering we encounter that reality that this is not how it is supposed to be and that God is close. To the brokenhearted. And to grasp both of these is to rejoice. Don't run from your suffering, but rejoice that God will never leave you. And I think in many ways, the way that we respond to our suffering can be linked back entirely to the posture of our heart. What is the posture of our heart? Do we go through life and believe that we don't deserve anything? Is that really our view? Because that is the truth. We don't deserve God's love. We have done nothing to earn it. We don't deserve to have breath in our lungs, but we've all got that. We don't deserve to have gifts and talents that He has graciously given us, but we have them anyway. We don't deserve to be forgiven of our sins, but God still forgives us. Have you accepted the reality that everything in your life is simply a gift from God? God doesn't owe you anything. You don't deserve anything. And I'm sorry if you have believed otherwise. And the appropriate response is to offer it all back to him in humble service. It's a posture of the heart that says, God, I don't deserve to have breath in my lungs. I don't deserve to have this gift of teaching or leadership or whatever it may be, but God, even in the midst of my own suffering, I'm going to lay down my life for other people that need to be cared and loved for right now because it's what you did. You didn't deserve to be beaten or mocked or crucified. But you continued to lay down your life even in the midst of your own pain. When we go through life with the mindset that we deserve good fortune, or that we deserve health, good health, or that we deserve comfort, we carry around this arrogance and this false belief that somehow God owes us something. He doesn't owe us anything. He's given us far more than we ever deserve. So when suffering hits us, we lash out in anger, we criticize others, we point the finger at God, and we completely miss the opportunity to experience the truth that in our suffering, God is close to the brokenhearted. In our suffering, He is close to the brokenhearted. If the posture of our heart is in line with Christ, then we'll be better equipped to view suffering from an entirely different perspective. When our marriage or our relationship seems to be falling apart, we can look at it as an opportunity to finally be healed. We can look at it as an opportunity to explore the depths of our pain. Why are we this way? Why do we respond this way? What is the root cause of this division Let's explore it. Let's be healed from it and set free and restored so that we can better reflect the likeness of Christ. And as we wrap things up today, I want to ask you, if you're suffering right now, and I know some of you are, consider the posture of your heart. Do you think that you deserve a pain-free life? Or have you humbly accepted the truth that everything you have is a gift from him anyway? Are you using this time to thank God for what he's already given you? Are you using this as an opportunity to ask him for wisdom, to help you see life from his perspective? Are you asking him what he wants to teach you maybe in this moment of horrible pain? Are you using this time... To look beyond yourself and your own situation and see the needs of friends around you that need to be cared for. And if you're here right now in your life, maybe you're not in a trial and you're not suffering, but there's a 100% chance you know someone that is. And so I want you to consider how can you come alongside them and be Jesus to them? How can you pray for that person? How can you help show them that in their suffering, God is close to the brokenhearted? How can you help them be healed and restored into who they are in Christ? May we as a church, may we be a church that sees past our own suffering so that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus to people even in the midst of our own pain. Because to be a church that lives that out is something that we can truly rejoice in. Let's pray together. God, you are so good. God, we do not deserve your love. But man, you shower it with us anyway. God, I pray that we would just be reminded of how incredible you are. And you have given us far more than we could ever deserve. God. God, forgive us for running from our suffering rather than embracing it and asking you you know, what it is you want to maybe teach us during this time or what is it you want to reveal to us or God, just using it as an opportunity to experience the truth that in those moments you are close to our broken hearts. God, I pray, I know you're speaking all kinds of different things to people. We're in all kinds of walks of life. God, I pray that we would just press into you, God, and not try to numb the pain when life gets hard or, or, or want to throw in the towel or fix things, but that we would be content to just trust that you've got this. You've got this, God. You are good, even if things don't make sense, Lord. I pray that you just be with the rest of our time. In your name, amen.